Turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, please. Good to be with you again, and good to be at the picnic yesterday. Enjoyed that, seeing so many people. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Now, for the sake of not only being politically correct, but applying these truths, that doesn't just mean for what we're going to speak about the men, the males. This is open for the females too. So, blessed is the person, we'll say. But the word in the Hebrew is the man. That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Just a few things in the overview of this first psalm of, of this book of Psalms. Just as you go down, it begins with the word blessed, which is an interesting thing because there are a handful of psalms that begin with that word. They're referred to as the Asher Psalms because Asher means blessed. So it's blessed. Blessed is the man whose sin is, 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 is forgiven and so on. Blessed is the person. Blessed is this and so on. So there are at least half a dozen Psalms or so, five Psalms, where there are Asher Psalms. Notice as you go down here to the progression, I'm sure most of this is familiar with, with to you. Walketh not, standeth not, sitteth not, in verse 1. So there's a progression of not only the conviction of this person, what he will not do is given to us first, and then what he will do or does do is given to us second. So there's a negative emphasis at the first, and then a positive emphasis at the second. Which is interesting. We are taught by society and psychological uh, emphasis is put on, on positive reinforcement. We want positive reinforcement. Don't tell people negative things. It'll get them down. Well, God begins with the negative here. He tells us what this man is not. And then He tells us what this man is. There's a number of other things here. You'll notice in a book that gives us, especially in Psalm 119, so many different words for the Word of God. You know, precepts, commandments, uh, and so on. Here you have the law, and it's used twice. The same word is used twice. It's, it says here in verse uh, 2, for example, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So this is an encompassing word. It's embracing all of the law of God. So that it's saying that this man doesn't pick and choose. He's guided by the entirety of the Word of God. Another thing that, as you notice going down, 
He'll be like a tree planted. And we're going to look at some of these words uh, very shortly, but the tree here is planted. This is not random. These aren't seeds that are you know hauled from one place to another by a bird that's flying. And so, this is purpose that's emphasized here. He shall be like a tree planted. And not only the fact that he's planted, but where he's planted, by the rivers of waters. Both those words are in the plural. And they don't just imply rivers as if it was the Jordan or the Euphrates or something. But the word here for rivers is actually the idea of irrigation, canals. In other words, those had purpose too. He didn't just use natural things to feed a spiritual man. He's using things that have purpose as well to fill a man of purpose. Something else too, as you notice as you go down there too, it speaks about his leaf also shall not wither. And while the word here for leaf is a a normal word for leaf, yet it it doesn't wither. So in a sense it's almost evergreen in its its principles. it, It never turns brown. It's always green. It's always lush and vegetative. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's an obedient man. He's an obedient person. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Doesn't that remind us of John chapter 2 and the wedding there at Cana and Mary when she speaks concerning the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why? Because whatsoever he saith unto us, we do. So there's an obedience that's emphasized here. Now in contrast to that, there's the ungodly in the second half. The ungodly are not so. Now we're not going to look at them. We're going to look at this blessed person at the first half of the psalm. Now, there are different types of psalms. I'm going to give you a brief overview so that maybe you'll appreciate this psalm more in its setting. Sometimes, you know, we just kind of launch into things and we we don't know the background, we don't know the setting. And if you do know those things and get into them, they help you to appreciate what the writer and what the book is about. There are several different types of psalms that are given to us. There are psalms that are called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms. They are psalms basically of of judgment. Psalms of wrath. Psalms when there are things that are pronounced down upon the enemies of God's people. There are the psalms of degrees that are for the most part ascribed to Hezekiah. And you'll have those. Those are psalms of ascent. And some have even linked them with the, not only the steps going up to the temple, but they're in the 120 psalm range and so on, but they have even linked them with the, with the degrees of a sundial. And so there are interesting links with the psalms of degrees. There are the Hallel psalms, which comes from the word hallelujah, and so on. Those are psalms of praise. There are penitential psalms, which are just the opposite. They're psalms of sorrow, psalms of the broken heart. But these are... The Asher Psalms. Blessed Psalms. They're Messianic Psalms too, which are Psalms of the Messiah. When you read certain Psalms. Psalm 22, for example, well known. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalms that are relative to the Messiah. Not just in truth, because many Psalms are that, but they are quoted in the New Testament as being applied to the Messiah. So they are Messianic Psalms. But these Psalms comprise a, a different group. Psalms of praise, the blessed Psalms. The Psalms are interesting because I don't know if, uh, especially if you're younger, maybe you don't read the Psalms that much. I know I didn't when I was younger. You tend to think they're, they're for times when you're sick or when you can't get out of bed or something like that, for, for older people and so on. And you, you, as you look at the Psalms, you think they're so calm and they're so, the Psalms, right? You tend to think of that. We, we want some, we want action. Well, I'll tell you, if you go through the Psalms, you will find action too as well. In fact, there are certain Psalms and, and, 
all of them, they're rich in human experience. We can identify with the experiences of the writer, whoever it might have been. It might have been David for the most part, it could be Moses at certain times, Hezekiah, and sometimes they're unnamed, as in this psalm. We don't know who the author is of this psalm. It doesn't really matter, just like we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, and that doesn't really matter either. But the point of this first psalm is this. It's going to set the tone for the rest of the book. We use this book for the most part on mornings and now, and we use another book for other meetings. Well, this book, Psalms, is their hymn book for the Jew, for the nation. And the first psalm and the character and the tenor and the tone of this first psalm is going to carry through throughout the rest of the hymn book. It's going to begin with separation. And the man or the woman who is a separated person, separated from what is not of God, and separated to what is of God, will enable this person to have a song. And it will enable them to keep that song throughout the rest of the book and sing and mean it. There's believers that have lost their song. They're not separated from and they're not separated to. And sometimes people think, well, the first half is, well, that, that's, that's the most important part. As long as I'm separated from. Well, that type of thinking produces monks. <laughs> it doesn't produce godly people. That's isolation, not insulation. There are both sides that are necessary components. Yes, the Word of God does counsel us and warn us that we are not to walk in the way of the ungodly. We're not to stand in the way of sinners. We're not to sit in the seat of the scornful. But there's more than that. We are to, so that there's both sides that are important. We are to be godly. We are to delight in the law of the Lord. We are to obey His Word. We are to seek communion and fellowship with our God, with our Lord. And so these both sides are necessary. They will affect our singing. So let me ask you something. Is there someone here today and you've, you've lost your song? You're not singing. It's interesting. I don't make a habit of it, but... You ever see some people sing Sunday morning? Boy, if, it, if the meeting depended on them, I wonder what it would sound like. You ever see that? There's no sound coming out. It's like almost like, turn up the volume. Is there something wrong here with it? We've got something to sing about. But sadly, there are sometimes we, we believers that we, we lose our song. If we keep in mind the truth of this song and implement it, bring it into our lives, we won't lose our song. We'll have a song. And we'll be able to sing properly. And you know what? Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you're off tune or whatever. I know people, I know sometimes, did you hear her? She couldn't, man, that was terrible. You know what? The Lord hears it. And you sing. And try not to drown other people out if you're really a bad singer, but sing anyway, okay? So this is Israel's songbook, and it's encouraging them to sing in this way. Now, I mentioned that these psalms are rich in human experience. Just to give you a, a balance of some of the psalms, I, like, I wrote this down, one man wrote this. He said, there are times at which some of the psalms ring with the din and noise of the battlefield. And you can almost hear the clanging of the swords and the whoosh of a spear. And then there are other times when we leave the hoofbeats and we come into the hush of the sanctuary. And we can almost smell the incense. And it's quiet. As David writes and brings us into the presence of the Lord. There are other times in which 
hearts are aflame and feet are almost dancing with joy. And there are other times the psalmist can hardly move for sorrow. His face is drenched with tears. Rivers of water run down mine eyes. They keep not thy law. At times, the world is seen as the enemy, and we read over and over again in these Psalms of the wicked, the wicked. And with the wicked are contemplated. It's looked at as a, a generic group of the wicked. Other times, there are specific enemies named and thought about, whether it's the Assyrians, whether it's other nations, whether whatever. And then other times in some of the Psalms, the enemy is the, are those closest to us. Mine own familiar friend. But more often than not, the greatest enemy that is seen in the Psalms is you, is me, and what's in our own hearts. And we need to recognize that. That is the way that these Psalms and the Word of God will have the greatest benefit to us. When I put myself in the picture frame and recognize that this is speaking to me. Now, number of things about this it's interesting when you take the first two psalms I didn't read it we're familiar with the words of the second psalm and one thing I should say as an aside too is um, you wouldn't be right really in saying psalm chapter 1 or psalm chapter 2 they're not chapters so much as they're hymns they're psalms so really if you want to be correct I wouldn't make a person an offender for a word if you want to say chapter 2 go ahead but know this you'll be wrong so just say Psalm 1 or the first psalm or the second psalm and that's the way really they should be addressed as. Now, if you look at Psalm 1 and 2, it's interesting. Psalm 1 is the law. right? His delight is in the law of the Lord. In His law doth He meditate day and night. So Psalm 1 emphasizes the law. Psalm 2 emphasizes the prophets. And when you read Psalm 2, you can speak about the prophets that have spoken and so on. So that's really the content, right, of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. So you have these two psalms that go together. Psalm 1 is an emotional psalm. Psalm 2 is a moral psalm in which there is an intellectual dilemma. Why? The question is this. Why does a heathen rage? And this question is contemplated. So that these two psalms form bookends. Psalm 1 begins with a blessing. And ends with a cursing. Psalm 2 begins with a curse and ends with a blessing. So they are like bookends. And again, they they complement each other. But what is interesting is this. That the king of Psalm 2 is the blessed man of Psalm 1. That the person ultimately who is the blessed man is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one ultimately. Blessed is the man, God's man who walked not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stood in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seat of the scornful. And yet for all that, this blessed man, what place did they give him? That's what the world thinks of Christ. They gave him the outside place. They gave him a cross. They gave him a crown of thorns. Well, Psalm 2 changes all that, thank God. And it speaks about the one whom God hath highly exalted. That God, the king that God hath set and anointed on his holy hill. Thank God for the day that's coming. When Christ will reign, when Christ will be all. And every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let me just say this. If there is someone in this meeting and you're not saved. 
You are in the outside place. Right now, Christ is in the outside place. But there's coming a day when the tables are going to be turned. But the most tragic and terrible thing will be for a sinner to be in the outside place forever. Switch sides. Go to the one whom God hath established, God hath set. That's what this psalm is looking forward to. A future day. A day that we all look forward to. Now a few things too that we might want to look at. This word here, let's go down. I want you to notice first of all the direction in this psalm. The direction. It says, blessed is the man. Now, he's pointing us to a direction that we're moving to. There's nine characteristics of this blessed man. Nine characteristics. Does that ring a bell? Nine? No? How many fruit of the Spirit are there? Nine. So that when you go to Galatians, you're in Galatians in your Bible reading. So you're going to come to that soon. The fruit of the Spirit, as opposed to the works of the flesh. So the Spirit of God is working out this fruit in our lives. Well, here's a fruitful man in Psalm 1. Why is he fruitful? Because he's a godly man. The Spirit of God is working through him. He's committed himself to the Lord. So there's nine characteristics of this blessed man. There are nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So you're already drawn to the direction of this man's life, this woman's life, this person's life. Interesting, when you have this, you have the, the, the counsel of the ungodly. Let me just look at that. Now, we mentioned that God emphasizes the negative first. Now, I mentioned that this morning, but I'm going to mention it again. You cannot build a godly life where there are ungodly things that are allowed to be. You cannot simply ignore what should not be and say, well, you know what, that really doesn't count. God knows my heart and He knows my situation and uh, you know, I'm, just gonna, I'm trying, to, trying to do my best. I'll, I'll read my Bible. I'll try to pray. I'll go to church. I'll come to meetings. But yes, I will still allow these other things in my life. I will still do things with the world. I will still embrace what I shouldn't. Maybe I will watch things I shouldn't. I will read things I shouldn't. I will see things I shouldn't. I will go places I shouldn't. Say things I shouldn't. But you know what the Lord knows. And you know what? In the long run, all those things will be gone anyway. And the only things that will last will really be what I've done spiritually, right? So what's the harm? No, God is very clearly telling us here, Blessed is the man that walketh not, that standeth not, that sitteth not, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then there are positive things that reinforce that. You can't mix the world and Christianity and Christ. You can't. It's wrong. It won't work. You can't be a godly person. You can't be a blessed person. Not the person of Psalm 1, if you mix the two. That's why this book begins on this note with these truths. So you have his direction. The counsel of the ungodly. Well, what does that actually mean? He he, he walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now that's more than just thoughts. We, th- we tend to think of the thoughts of individuals. And we say, well, you know, this is, this is the counsel. No, counsel is, is more thought than just thought. Counsel is thought 
put in practice. Counsel is thought that is presented as a path. That's what he's actually saying here. It's, it's really, I guess if we could sum up, we could say this. The plans. The plans of the ungodly. God is emphasizing who walketh not in the plans of the ungodly. You ever hear them? You listen to them? You know, if we're not careful, we start to think like they do, like the world does. We spend, listen, very simply, how much time do you spend with the Christians as opposed to how much time do you spend with the world? Now, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm not saying that we should spend more. Sometimes we can't. We work eight hours a day, more sometimes. I'm saying as a fact of life. And when you spend the majority of your time with people who are not saved, who are lost, you open up a wider door to think like them, to be like them. It requires that you are a separated person. You are a submissive person, dependent on God, submitting yourself to His Word, praying. Simple things. This will be very practical. You begin your day by praying, Lord, give me opportunities to, to do something for you. Do you start your day like that? The blessed man of Psalm 1 would. The blessed person of Psalm 1 would open the Bible, would open the law, because his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now Lord, how will you direct me so that I will walk for you and not walk like them? Preserve me, O God. In fact, it's an interesting, one of the next Psalms right after that. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. Do you pray that? Do you look for that? If you do, God will direct your life. If you pray that and you mean that, and you get before Him in His Word. The counsel of the ungodly. But then standing in the way of sinners. He standeth not in the way of sinners, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now what does that mean to stand in the way? I know sometimes we're in the way. People say, get out of my way. It doesn't mean that you're standing in the way of sinners like you're trying to stop. It means Literally, it means just the opposite. You're actually going with the flow. You're just standing with them and you're just moving along with them. And again, if we are not careful, we will be just carried along with the course of this world. Now we can't, we can't thank God when a person is saved, he is not of the world anymore. So that you can, the world is condemned. And you can't become of the world, but you can be in the world and caught up by it. And you know what happens? Literally, you can be a fish out of water. Out of place, out of touch. You know, I appreciated something that was said this morning in the, in the, in the breaking of bread meeting. We long, those of us that are saved, we should long for home. Heaven is home. And what makes us long for that home so much is that my Savior is there. Our Lord is there. Do you have a longing for home? You know, I just want to ask you that very simply. Do you long for heaven? Or does this world really satisfy you? You're fairly happy here. God help us as Christians that we're not, we're not really happy here. 
You know, that's the interesting thing, that when it comes from this blessedness, the beginning of the psalm begins, blessed is the man. We could actually translate that, it's in the plural, so that we could actually say, all the blessednesses, the happinesses, of the man who walketh not, who standeth not, who sitteth not. Now that's interesting because what it's telling us is this. Where does blessing come from? It doesn't come from here. It comes from there. So what this individual is doing is, by living this way, we are fostering an environment where we can become open receptacles for that blessedness. And it can manifest itself in numerous ways. Obedience to the Word of God, joy, security, peace, love, kindness, and, it's, and on and on. It's the plural aspect. All the blessednesses the, of, the, of this man who lives this way. Now just the opposite is true. When we live the way in the second half of the psalm, when we are caught up with the streams of this world, our leaves will wither. We, we poison the environment by which this blessedness can manifest itself. So the question each of, us has, each of us has to ask ourselves is this. What kind of person do you want to be? Because it's a choice. What kind of person do you want to be? God hears your desire. And in this book of Psalms, very interesting, if you go to Psalm later on, one of, the, one of the Psalms later on, I forget now which Psalm it is offhand, but it says here, He granted their request, but sent leanness into their souls. He heard their desire. He gave them what they wanted, and they pursued it. And God says, you want that? I'll let you have it. But their soul was lean. You know, in contrast to that, there's a man named Abraham. And he obeyed the Lord. And you know what it says about Abraham? It says he was very rich. You know what it actually means? He was, he was, it means he was very heavy. He wasn't lean, he was heavy. Okay? I guess I'm a little more blessed than other people maybe, but the problem is this. We want the wrong thing so often. You need to ask yourself today, today, because every day brings with it new challenges and new opportunities. What kind of person do I want to be? Am I going to live with the Psalm 1 as my basis and Christ as my focus and the Word of God as my guide? Or am I going to leave it up to what might come and make decisions and focus my path on what's convenient and what might make sense and, and what might be relevant to the situation I'm in? Those are the type of decisions you need to make and bring them into every area of life. You see, that's the counsel of the ungodly versus the counsel of by the Word of God. The directions. Let me just tell you a little bit about his delight. I'll, I'll just move on. I've only got a few minutes left. So you have the seat of the scornful. I'm going to skip that because that really is that, that the seat of the scornful is not simply a refusal of those who are not saved, who those who are lost. It's actually a sneer, a contempt. It's scorn. It's it's the curled lip of the unbeliever against the things of God, against Christ. 
It's those that make fun. And you've been in it. Younger believers here, whether it's the school systems, the educational systems, whether it's the employment situation, whether it's the neighbors, you know and you've experienced. If you've tried to make any stand for God, you know the sneer, the laughter, the mockery of people. I'm not saying everybody's like that. But if you make a stand for God, you will experience it eventually. But I want you to notice the positive. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Different counsel, different company, different cause. Now, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate. Now, let me just touch on this for a minute. It doesn't say he reads every day. That's important. I mean, but you can read every day and not get anything. You know that? There's people, I know the old preachers used to say, well, at least the sieve is being cleaned and so on. And that's good, because far better you read something than you don't read anything. But I hope we really raise the bar higher than that, because God does. I hope that the idea is this, in His law doth He meditate day and night. You know what? We live in a world where, whether it's entertainment, whether it's the games... The mind is disengaged. I've often thought of the word amusement. What does it mean? Well, A is where you put an A before a word. It's it's an alpha primitive and it makes it a negative. So, musement is to muse, is to think about. And amusement is to do things you don't have to think about. That's what the world is after. You ever see people, sometimes, I've seen some someone, I remember trying to talk to somebody, even, we were in gospel meetings. I tried to talk to someone, and they were playing this game, and it was like, they were like zombies. I mean, it was just, they were totally absorbed. And it was like, just, huh? Oh, what? what? You know? And I, I said to them, I said, you know, if you really spend as much time just thinking about your soul as you did with that game, I said, you'd have been saved long ago. Fellow's still not saved today. Things with the mind disengaged. I'm going to tell you something. The Word of God, to get into your Bible, takes effort. It takes work. You need to have your mind engaged. That's what meditation is. But the benefits are beyond what we could even comprehend. Blessednesses? The man or the woman of God? The security, the peace, the spiritual strength? The significance of a life and eternity beyond today? For meditating and obeying what we read, the significance is beyond what we can think, but it's work. You willing to take that time? You willing to do that? Or are you willing to coast? You know what the sad thing is? Most of the circles, most of the circles of assembly Christians, you could get by with coasting. And that's sad. But you can't do that with God. What does that say about the general state sometimes of, of assemblies, of Christians? Oh, you know what? It is interesting and significant that God doesn't say, Blessed are the companies. Blessed are the masses. You know what God does in this psalm? He opens it up for individuals. Blessed is the man. That means... Anyone. 
He's looking for ones, twos, individuals. Looking for you, for me. This meditation is deliberately engaging the mind in Scripture. I will give you five things. I thought I was going to get further than this, but I'll just ask you this. When you read your Bible, for the sake again of younger and older too, do you, do you, do you take a pad out? you ever read your Bible with a notepad beside you? You keep a notebook? That's a great thing to do. Ask yourself, just here's five questions you could ask yourself when you go through a passage, any passage that will help you tremendously. Number one, are there any sins to avoid in this passage? Any, any sins to avoid? That as I'm reading this, I can say, I, I shouldn't be doing that, really. That, that, the Word of God is warning me. Any sins to avoid? Any activities to do? That's the second one. If the Word of God is telling me about something to do, then am I doing that? And not am I doing it once and say, whew, got that one done, that's my bucket list, checked off. How about any promises to claim? God gives you promises in His Word. You know what? He delights when we hold Him to the promises of His Word. Any promises to claim? Any teachings to learn? As you read through this passage, are there new teachings? Maybe doctrine. I know the Old Testament isn't for doctrine, the New Testament is, but the Old Testament is in keeping with the doctrine of the New Testament. And they complement one another. Are there any teachings to learn? Any links to make? Here's another one. Are there any links? So that as I read my Bible, maybe in the Old Testament, now my mind goes and I'm throwing out a grappling hook to the New Testament. And now what I'm doing is I'm weaving and strengthening my knowledge and grasp and apprehension of the Word of God. And do you know what will happen as you do that? As you make your way into situations of life, the Spirit of God will bring those back to you so that you can live them out. But if they're not up there in the first place, He has nothing to work with. Any truths to incorporate? There are words here that are very, very interesting. I'll give you one of them, and I'm done. The word here for leaf is leaf also shall not wither. Word study is a, is a good thing to do. I will encourage you. We have tools to do it. Be careful about it. You can make sometimes you can make words say anything you want, and so you have to be careful. You have to look at them in their context, where they occur, how they occur. But this word for leaf is an interesting word. It's, it's, it's the normal word for leaf. You say, well, what's so interesting about it? Well, our word for leaf in the English language is not as interesting as the Hebrew word for leaf. The root word of the Hebrew word for leaf is the uh, Allah. Not Olah, but Allah. And it has the idea of to turn upward. To turn upward. Now, a leaf does that, right? It catches, it turns upward. You ever put a plant on a windowsill? The leaves will actually turn so that photosynthesis will take take place and they'll turn toward the sun. The root word for the word for leaf is the same root word for the burnt offering or the ascending offering. An offering that goes up. It's also the same root word for a stairway in the, in the book of Kings, for example. So that the leaf is turned upward. Listen, you want the secret to the blessedness of this man, this person in Psalm 1? Turn upward. Look up. Set your affection on things above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. You do that. You follow this book. And you turn upward. And you'll you'll experience the blessednesses of what Psalm 1 is all about. Let's pray.